it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When a woman has been cheated on and a man has been cheated on, the question they ask is different. A man asks, did you have sex with him? And the woman asks, do you love her? Just like a surgeon looks at a person's body differently. I look at marriage different. Look, all marriages end. They end in death or divorce. So what happens in between is what's mattered. Was it lovely to be loved? And was it lovely to have someone to love? I wish people could hold on to that because to love anything is to, to accept the inevitability of losing. Do you have any like all time, the worst divorces? The, the chapter everyone's the nanny um, was a true story. And that, that, that's my one of my favorite stories only because it has a karmic piece to it. They have this very cute, nanny and he convinced his wife he's like let's have, let's try to get the nanny to have a threesome with us i went to law school to be a divorce lawyer oh okay so which is a rare thing you know i think it's very funny when you ask someone who's a divorce lawyer how did you become a divorce lawyer they you always hear um two words that, that I think are very funny to hear in this story. And that is I ended up, I ended up, you never end up somewhere you meant to go. Like it's right. always like, yeah, I was trying to get to giant stadium. And then I ended up taking the wrong road. And I, all of a sudden I'm in Rutherford, you know, like you, you, it's never a good thing. Usually I ended up there, you know? Yeah. My luggage ended up in Tulsa, you know, but so I, Whenever you ask a divorce lawyer, how'd you become a divorce lawyer? They're always like, well, I was working in a firm that did this, and then I this, and then I ended up taking a case. The words ended up always end up in there. Right. And I always thought it was really funny because it's it's just not something like if you meet someone who works for Scadden or Simpson Thatch or any white shoe law firm, they're always like, Well, I did a federal clerkship and then I did this. And it's never well, I ended up like it's always there wasn't the consolation prize, you know. But I um I went to law school to be a divorce lawyer. I, my undergraduate degree was in psychology. I wanted to be a therapist. Um, 
but I was always a debater. I had debated in high school at a fairly high level. Um, like my freshman year, they put me on the varsity team. Um, and I just enjoyed debate. And I figured out pretty quickly that as a therapist, you're really supposed to listen more than you talk. And I'm better at talking than listening if you haven't figured that out. And so I, I said, okay, that's not the career for me. So I went to graduate school. And I was studying um, culture and communication, persuasive speech. I was basically studying propaganda studies. And I was teaching at NYU. I'd finished my master's degree. I was working on my PhD. And then I realized how little money college professors make. And I went, okay, my, my son had just been born, my first child, who's now 27. Um, he's a lawyer now. He's an ADA in the Bronx. So he's, uh, he's put people in jail. And uh, in the Bronx, people still commit crimes. So, you know, that's like one of those places where people still are. He's got job security. Uh, and I decided, well, you know what? I always liked debate. I always liked to sort of, you know, weaponize my verbal abilities. So let me take the law school admission test. And I took it and I, I got in the 99th percentile and I got to go to law school for free. So, um, but when I went to law school, I remember thinking, well, I don't, I don't want to do corporate law. I don't want to be a highly paid proofreader. I don't want to do transactional stuff like real estate and bankruptcy or immigration. Criminal law sounded really interesting to me, but I was honest with myself that the people who commit interesting crimes and have money usually only do it once. And the people who commit really interesting crimes frequently usually have no money. So you're not going to get paid a lot. Right. So I kind of went, well, I'd, where else could I get courtroom work other than, and personal injury sounded no fun to me because personal injury work, you're essentially staking your own money, like your own time. And if you win, okay, you get a return. If you don't, you're lost. And I'm not that much of a cowboy. Like I, I just don't enjoy gambling in that way. Yeah. So I thought, people, well, a lot of people don't realize that, that a hundred percent. Yeah. And it's, I mean, if you've ever been around a personal injury lawyer, when there was a defendant's verdict, like that you, it's like somebody killed their puppy. Like they, they're like, oh, you could see them doing the math in their head going like, oh my God, I've spent so many hours and so much of my own money. So I sort of went, well, look, you know, the weatherman have it good. You know, you get the weather wrong, you still get paid. You know, you get it right, you still get paid. So I went, well, divorce lawyer, if you win, you get paid, you lose, you get paid. Like I'll do that. And I also liked that it checked some of the other boxes, you know, gave me that courtroom stuff that I like, the performative streak that I like. And it also, what I liked about the potential of being a therapist, which was helping people who are going through a serious time and, and sort of an opportunity for transformation. And I liked the fact that people couldn't be full of shit when they're getting divorced because no one could ever say they meant to be there. Right. You know, that's what I think you and I have in common in terms of the, the, the stories we, we tell or help facilitate people telling is no one meant to be in jail. No one yeah. meant to be getting divorced. Yeah, I was, I was gonna say, it's funny every time I would, I, I would, I'll meet people and you'll meet some, you know, a, a woman or a guy or something. And they'll say, you know, you know, oh yeah, well I'm divorced. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. And they'll, they'll say, oh no, I'm glad. And I'm thinking really. And I've always, I, I've, I've always been like, well, I, I mean, I'm sorry because I know you didn't enter into that right. marriage thinking you were going to get divorced. That's right. what I mean. And you know, yeah, the jerky thing for them to say. Oh, I'm not. Okay, I get it. Yeah. You know, I think I know what people mean, I, and I think you do too, when they say that. And that is that people do sometimes 
I, I think that what people mean to say when they say, oh, I'm sorry, like I, 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 I never make someone feel odd about that. Like my, the, the eighth anniversary of my mother's passing away from cancer just past past Sunday. And I was, when I tell people, oh, I was you know doing this because it's the anniversary of my mom's passing, they go, oh, I'm sorry. And of course I understand what they mean, which is I'm sorry for your loss. Um, but there is a part of you that if you have a dark sense of humor, goes like, well, you didn't kill her. Like you didn't give her cancer. Like, right. you know, like, what are you sorry about? Like if sorry is I... I am sorry I, for my responsibility for what occurred. So like divorce, like I'm a divorced person. I'm thrilled that I got divorced. I mean, it, it was, it turned out to be one of the greatest things that happened to me and to her, you know, we're still dear friends. We have wonderful sons together. We're now adults. She's been remarried for 12 years to a wonderful guy who's a much better fit for her. And we all, everybody gets along and, you know, really enjoys each other. Um, but was it terribly painful when we were going through? Of course, it was very painful. So when someone says, I'm sorry, I hear it as, I'm sorry you went through that, not I'm sorry that happened to you. Like, I, you know, you're someone who's been through tremendously stressful and traumatic things. And I'm sure that you're not sorry that they happened to you because you you wouldn't be who you were or were it not for the things no, you've gone through. Yeah, I, I understand what they meant. I mean, obviously, yeah. when, I, when they always say, but it's funny that people, I, I mean, I don't think I've ever met anybody that didn't say, you know, where, where I'd yeah. say, I'm sorry. And they immediately, you know, oh, I'm not sorry. That's just always oh, like, really? yeah, that's like almost all of funny. It's always I like, I guess people don't want to feel wounded. I don't, I don't know. I think that people do feel self conscious about like that they're, like there's something wrong with them. I mean, I think we have been very cruel to people when it comes to divorce. You know, I, I grew up, I went to Catholic school my whole life. I'm 51. I went to Catholic school my whole life. And so in growing up in the seventies and in a Catholic environment, there was like one kid in the class whose parents are divorced. Like, you know, it was like, be nice to him. His parents are divorced, but it was like the one kid, you know? Right. And he happened to be biracial too, which is like that poor fucking kid. Like he had everything in the seventies. These were two very complex things to navigate at Catholic school. But the truth is like, I, you know, I don't, I don't know that now I, I wish we were a little more like, oh yeah, like it's a chapter in a book. Like, like love is, you know, I've had some great loves in my life. Like, and, and I maybe three, four, you know, and each one of them, like I used to tell my sons when they we, my, they were five and seven when the mom and I divorced. And as they got older, I would say to them all the time, like, oh, your mom's one of the great loves of my life. She made me such a better man, you know, like, and like we, we made our lives so much better because of each other. And, you know, we had a chapter where we loved each other in the way that married people are supposed to. But then we realized we didn't love each other in that very special way. It doesn't mean we don't love each other, but there's a lot of people I love who wouldn't want to be married to. Um, but you know, we're family and we always will be. And so when you say it, you view divorce that way, there's nothing to be sorry for, you know, it's sorry for the pain you went through because every divorce is painful. Every breakup is painful, but it's certainly nothing. People I think don't want to be pitied, I guess is, is maybe the, that's it. The, what they're, what, what they're responding to. But I think the instinct in you to say that is actually like an empathetic one, you know, which is to say to someone like, oh man, I'm sorry that things didn't go the way you wanted them to. But I do think sometimes the lives, one of the things that's really cool about being a divorce lawyer 
that you wouldn't think because people are always like, oh my God, like how do you deal with a sea of human misery you must have to deal with? But there's also like so many redemption arcs because like I, I've had clients who come in and they're just destroyed. Like their spouse was cheating on them or they've been a victim of intimate partner abuse or their spouse walked out on them and they're just sitting in my conference room table and like their life's over. Like their life's over. They're just, they're miserable. They're crying. They're just, they, they don't want this, but they can't, you can't make someone love you. You can't make someone stay with you. You can't make someone not cheat on you. And they're just, they can't imagine that they're going to be okay, you know? And then, you know, we have to go through the whole thing, but it's like five, 10 years later, I get invited to their next wedding, you know, or yeah. they send me a holiday card or they stop in and like their life is so good. You know, their life is so good and they're okay. And their kids are okay. And they find new love. And like, you know, I always say like 56% of marriages end in divorce and people love that statistic because they love to be like, look at how reckless it is to get married. But the more interesting statistic in my point of view is that 86% of people are remarried within five years of their divorce. So that's people who've already been through it and they still go, fuck it. I'm doing it again. Like, let's go. Like, let's go. So that tells me there's something there, you know? Right. So I kind of love that, that part. That's the part of it that drew me to it was the opportunity to be with people and part of the architecture of their their redemption arc or their next chapter. And that's been really, really gratifying. Sometimes you have to wait a long time to see it. But one of the most enjoyable things I get to do now is when I have that broken person at my conference room table, I'll say to them, you know, in that chair you're in right now, 10 years ago, was a person in exactly your situation. And I'm going to give you their phone number. And I want you to call them. And I want you to tell them that what's going on in your life and that I'm representing you. And I want you to hear their story. And I'll, I'll, I have a roster of former clients. And I, I've said to them, do you mind if I give a client your number? So that right. you can say like, Hey, I was sat in that chair. I know what if, where you think you're at the bottom now, but trust me, like your life is going to be so good. And those clients, like they love that opportunity. They're always like, Oh my God, if someone had done that for me, when I was sitting in that chair, like that would have been like something to hold on to. So that's the joy of having done this for so long now is that I've got this whole roster of people that I can kind of, you know, and I, I can do it on the negative too. Like I have guys who are women who are going to do some dumb shit in a divorce litigation. I'll say, okay, before you do that, can I connect you with one of my other clients who, who did the same thing for the same reasons, understandable, but they'll tell you how it went for them. And then I'll connect them. And sometimes that's really like a transformative thing for people. So I, I have a, I have a, question and this is funny because it's actually kind of related to a, a friend of mine who who was locked up like a year ago and he was and he's got all these stories from being locked up uh and he was telling me he said listen he said you want to hear one of the weirdest things i was like what he said there was this he goes, there's this guy who's in for for stalking mm. i was like okay what did he do he's like he 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 was and it was his his wife so they're in the middle of a divorce. Yep. He wouldn't stop calling her. He wouldn't yep. stop coming by. She got a restraining order. He gets locked up again because he shows up or he calls. He had been, he, while he was there, the guy got locked up 
did like 10 or 15 days, got out, got locked up again, did like 60 days, got out. And he said, came back like two days before he was leaving. And he said, every time he was leaving, these guys in jail were like, listen, you not, you understand you cannot contact her. No, no, I understand. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking. And then he would leave. He'd come back. He'd go, you know, I just wanted to, if I, if I could just sit down and explain to her. If I could tell you how many times I have had that conversation with a client, it's a lot. It's a lot. And, and they are sincere. Like, no, no, if I can just, the only thing I can compare it to what it reminds me of is it reminds me of the gambler who goes, I just got to get ahead. I just got to get, if I just, no, no, no. I know I'm 50,000 down. I just need to, another grand. If I get that grand, I'm going to get right back up and then I'm going to cash out. Once I get back up now, now I know I'm 150 grand down now, but I'm telling you, if I get an, and you look at them and go, do you, how do you not know how ridiculous you sound right now? Like this is no different than when you were 5,000 down and you threw another five on top of it, $50,000 ago. They don't see it. They just don't see it. They just don't. I've had so many clients that just do not understand that you have, this is one of the most shocking things I have to tell people is that you have the right to say to someone, never contact me again directly, period, ever. I refuse to speak to you. And then if they contact you again, if you make clear that contacting me will serve no legitimate purpose but to harass a lawyer, norm and intimidate, then if they contact you again, ever, they have engaged in harassment in the second degree, period. And you get a restraining order. You get a restraining order. They violate the restraining order. It's harassment. They violate the restraining order. It's criminal contempt to court. Like I've seen so many people locked up because they just do not understand. No, no. I I just have to explain to her. No, I'm telling you, she's going to understand. And it's like the human desire to be understood is like the undoing of so many people. It's like the, the desire for closure. There is no closure. It is not going to happen. I was self that. I'm like, they want to have a trial, you know? And they're like, well, no, I want her to hear. I'm like, listen, there is a moment where she's good. Like, cause guys, you know, women will say all the time, like, oh, I want him to know what he did. I want him to feel how much he hurt me. I want him to, I want him to regret. And I go, listen, there will be a moment where that happens. It's not going to be in a courtroom. He's in, you're probably never even going to see it. It's going to be when he's alone in bed at night when the monsters come for all of us Maybe you know years, years from now in fact years from now when we're alone and the air is still and the night is silent is when we go you know i was a piece of shit when I did that. like that's when our demons come for us and i i said i'm like and you think he's gonna call you when that you're kidding yourself but just know that you know if your truth is like my beliefs don't require you to believe them you know, the truth is the truth, whether you believe the truth or not. Truth is the truth. So I, 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 there is a desire humans have for some kind of closure or some kind of aha moment. And I just, I, I, I don't know. I think sometimes it's like a siren song that just leads us to the crash because we just want to be heard and understood so badly. And we're just willing to just sacrifice so much to, to try to, for that illusion, you know, and it, it's a myth. It's yeah, it's a siren song. You think it's more of men that do this or women, or is it fifty fifty? I think it's fifty fifty. Yeah, I I think it's. That makes I don't sense. think either either gender has the market cornered on delusion, and on. 
you know, men, I heard an interesting comment once and my experience has proven it true because I work in the clay of adultery. You know, the adultery is either a cause or an underlying symptom of a lot of the marriages that end up in my office. And, and someone once pointed out to me, and I, it's absolutely true in my experience, is that when a woman has been cheated on and a man has been cheated on, the question they ask is different. A man asks, did you have sex with him? And the woman asks, do you love her? Hmm. And that's proven to be true in my experience is that men are very like possessive of a woman's body and possessive of their right to intimacy with her or, or the access they have to her as an intimate partner. And women are, are, are more tied to like your bond with me, your connection to me, your devotion to me, your loyalty and love for me. And so I, I think men and women are, they engage in that same behavior, that same delusion, that same, but to different ends. Because with the woman, it's like, I want to understand how you could do this to me. I thought you felt this way and you couldn't feel this way because if you really felt that way, you wouldn't do this to me. And men, it's more obsessive about details. Like men are just obsessed with the details of infidelity. Like they are just, here's where were they and where, what position was it? Or like, well, they want to know everything. They think it's going to make them feel better. It never does in my experience. I can't imagine it. Oh my, never does. Never like, I don't want to know. Are you kidding me? Why would you want to know? It's like when guys talk about like a woman's body count. Like they're like, well, you know, how many women did she, how many men did she sleep with before you? I'm like, I don't want to know. And I don't want to have to tell you how many women I was with before you. Like, I just, look, we're all born anew in a relationship. So, you know, judge me by how I behave towards you. If I cheated on somebody else, it doesn't mean I'm going to cheat on you. You know, if I was happy with someone else, it doesn't mean I'm going to be happy with you. If I was unhappy, like, I don't buy that. So I, I have a, okay. Yeah, I, I wish I hadn't watched that interview. Because I'm gonna, I'm, I'm going to ask some of the same questions. I, I do have, I one of the questions is that you know, and I, I already know the answer to this, but it, it's funny that, real quick, I want to mention that it, it's something that you had you had brought up was, I think the the love thing, well, like people going out and getting married again right away. Whatever people ask me, like in my own story, when. When the girl I was with at the very end of my little, you know, being on the run, guys are like, well, when you found out that you, she knew who you were, why didn't you leave? All I ever have to say is I was in love. And every guy is like, they, they totally, like totally. all those rules go out the window the moment you're in love because of that feeling. And, you know, and, and, and so I would actually overly even simplify it, drill it down beyond that. That's even a more complex emotional state. Like say I was in love. That's sort of like, oh, I had rose colored glasses on, you know, and that, that's when you wear rose colored glasses, all the red flags just look like flags, you know? But I, I, I jokingly have said that there was a couple of relationships I stayed in way too long just because they were good in bed. Like we were just good in bed. Like, honestly, like I was, I was dating her for a month because I really liked her and thought we were compatible. And then we were together for a year and a half because she, you know, was really good in bed. Like that's really, oh, you know, 
but but it's but it's true like there's so much we will overlook like there's a lot of people that would say oh i stayed with this person because they were very reliable or they were very financially secure or my parents liked them like people stay in relationships for very odd reasons you know sometimes they'll they just have invested so much time they're like i am not it's like people's investments you know i bought this stock a long time i'm not going to sell it now and it's like well yeah but you should you know like but yeah, I, I think people do, um, you know, people will under do understand anyone who's ever been, you know, there are people that say that love is a delusion brought on by inadequate lighting, you know, and, and anyone who's ever been under the spell of love knows what it feels like to go. Yeah, but that's nothing. No, like it's, I love this person. Like you can just overlook everything, but you know, in my line of work, it's fascinating because it, it goes the other way fast, which is that same phenomenon that like, oh, like everything this person does, you just see it in the best possible light. And even the things they do that might be annoying if someone else did, and you're just like, oh, it's so cute. Like she snores, like it's so cute. She snores. Like meanwhile, anybody else would be like, fucking stop snoring. Jesus, you know, but like the, in the early days, like that's just so lovely that this person care. If you're in love with a person, you just don't fucking care, you know. But it goes so easily the other way when the relationship ends, like that they can do nothing right, that they're just horrible. Like I've had cases where, you know, a client will just like do the right thing, like just because it's the right thing to do. Like they'll be like, well, no, she wants the kids for Thanksgiving so she can have it. She's like, well, you know, oh, obviously you gave me them for Thanksgiving because I did. You're like, dude, he just did something nice. Like, just because he cheated on you doesn't mean there's nothing good about him ever. Like, right. it's just not how it works. Like, people aren't all good and all bad. Like, this is what is this pro wrestling? Like, this is ridiculous. Like, this is real life. So, um, what, what, like, what do you have any like all time the worst divorces? The, like the worst case. I mean, there's so many. The, to last, on, the sure. last chapter of my book is the final chapter. It may even be the epilogue is called Cannibals. And I wrote it about a divorce that was finishing as I was finishing the book. And it, it was like it had gone on for four years and it, they, it, you could actually use that divorce in law school to reverse engineer everything people shouldn't do when they're getting divorced. Like they just did everything they could to kill each other in the divorce and ended up just destroying their own lives in the process, like protracting it, burning millions of dollars in council fees. Like it was just ruining their children, ruining any goodwill between them. And it wasn't that sexy. Like it was just a succession of really small, bad choices that just led them down this path where they just kept finding the permission of their own conscience to do the wrong thing. And so in reality, to me, that's the worst. The worst is when people just make these small, terrible choices. Like, like you and I are both fit guys, you know? And I think when you're, you know, have a, a healthy lifestyle or healthy body, you realize it's, it's not like, well, what did you eat on Saturday? 
you know, it, it, whatever you ate one day, it's not, or if you go on vacation for a week, like eat whatever the hell you want on vacation, you know, it's small choices you make every day. Do I do my little half an hour workout or hour workout? Do I try to eat healthy, you know, most of the time? Like, yeah, like that's kind of how you, you don't just gain weight in one day. You, it's right. a lot of little stupid, bad choices, you know, and you don't get fit in one day. It's a lot of little healthy choices. And it's the same kind of thing. I think that, you know, a lot of these, it's it's like I, I you know, on uh, Bonfire of the Vanities, uh, Tom Wolf, one of the characters is talking about how they went bankrupt. And he says, well, I went bankrupt the way everybody goes bankrupt, very slowly and then all at once. And I think that's what happens, you know, it's, it's most, to me, the most painful things to watch are people making small bad choices that just lead them down this path of ruin that they don't even realize. Like, it's like when your clothes just start getting tight, like slowly, it happens so slowly that you're like, wait, how did this happen? You know? And I think that to me is the, the most holy shit, but most of the time when, when someone asks, like, like, I don't really go to parties, but if I went to parties, when I used to go to parties, people would say like, oh, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a divorce lawyer. And like, holy shit, you must have stories. And they don't want to hear that story. They don't want to hear the like small succession of bad choices. They want to hear about the Methodist minister who was like 60 something years old and happily married, but having sex with a 22 year old Guyanese male immigrant and who then, as his defense, tried to claim that the sex that they had had was not consensual, meaning that so he was he claimed that he'd invited this young man over to dinner while his wife was away just to have dinner with him. And then he was doing the dishes and the guy came up behind him and began having sex with him. But it wasn't consensual. And I said, so are you saying he raped you? And he said, well, no, I didn't tell him to stop. But I didn't tell him that he could either. So I was like, okay, so you resisted in some fashion. And he said, no, no, I I allowed it to happen. I'm like, okay, then it was consensual then. And he's like, well, no, because I didn't explicitly tell him. And I'm like, listen, I as a heterosexual man, if someone came up behind me and started even attempting to have sex with me, I would say, hey, excuse me, I'm... I'm not, you know, let's not do this perhaps, you know, right. like let's, let's just be friends. And, uh, at a minimum, that's how I would handle it. And, uh, and, and he just, you know, would not, but then it turned out he didn't bezel a bunch of money from the church. I mean, like that, those cases are, I have so many bizarre, salacious, only like a hundredth of them ended up in the book. Like the, the, the chapter, everyone's fucking the nanny, um, was a true story absolute true story and that that's my one of my favorite stories only because it has a karmic piece to it and that is this guy who was kind of a dick he wasn't my client but i'm not the kind of guy that like if you're not my client you're the dick and my client's the hero like i i acknowledge that i represent good people and bad people whatever i i don't wear the white hat you know like i i'm a weapon you know you point me at the person that's it and a weapon in the hands of a of a good person can save people and protect people and the weapon in the hands of a villain can hurt people. But I'm it's don't get mad at the weapon. Right. And I, this guy convinced his, they had this very cute nanny from South America. I think she was Brazilian and he convinced his wife. He's like, let's, let's, have, let's try to get the nanny to have a threesome with us. And she was like, no, like this is like our nanny. We're paying her. It's inappropriate. You know, 
and he said, oh, come on, you know, she looks, she's cute. She's fun. Like, let's, you know, and he, um, he convinced his wife and then he went to the nanny and he said to her, look, you know, my wife thinks you're really attractive. And she wondered if we could have a threesome. And so the nanny goes to the wife and says, listen, did you really say this? And she says, yeah, you know, I think it'd be fun, whatever. So they get drunk and they end up having threesome. And they end up doing this pretty frequently for like six months. And then one day the wife is out and the husband goes to the nanny and is like, hey, what do you say, you and I? And she says, no, 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 I don't want to have a thing with you. It's, you know, either three of us or not or nothing. He didn't like that. But the wife, I guess sometime later that week gets home and the nanny says to her, you know, he tried to sleep with me. And the wife gets very upset about this. The PS of this is within a month, the wife and the nanny left the husband and took the kids and divorced him. And then they subsequently have married each other and are quite happily married and have custody of the kids. Wow. It's all about the threesome gone wrong. I was going to say, first of all, they always go wrong. Like they, yeah. I don't, I don't ever, I don't, I can't imagine a married couple having a threesome and that marriage gets stronger as a result of it and goes on and becomes super healthy. Like if the I'm only sure way I've one ever out. heard a threesome workout is if it's like both parties are into it and they do it like on vacation with someone they're never going to see ever again. Like, and it's just a thing that happens. And it has no connection to their life. Like it's like, it's like on vacation, they did this thing and that's the thing. And that's it. And it was something both of them, both of them approached in roughly the same way. Like if one person initiated that conversation, that's the the person who there are going to be hurt feelings against that person at some point. But I, I totally agree. I mean, I totally agree that, that that is a, um, it is a red flag when, when somebody in the relationship goes, you know, maybe we should invite someone else into the bedroom. Hey, so so which one of those two couples or which one of those two parties did you represent? The husband? The wife. The wife. Oh, the wife. Yeah, the wife. The wife. How did that conversation go? Um, you know, every one of these kinds of conversations goes the same way. And that is that they say to me, You're not gonna believe this story. Or, well, I've got a I've got a unique one for you. And I'm like, okay. Like, because it, it never is. It never is. It's like, well, I secretly had two girlfriends or I this and I'm like, aha, like you don't know how fucking vanilla you are, buddy. Like, this is not like this is this, this is one was different. Right? You're not the first person to this one. They said she said it, and it was her and her friend. So the girl was with her. Right. On on the on the in the meeting. She says, Oh, this is my friend, whatever her name was. And I said, Hi, nice to meet you. A lot of times people do bring somebody because it's a stressful, scary thing. Talk to a divorce lawyer the first time. And She's telling me this story and I'm going thinking, okay, this is a unique story, you know? And, and I realized that the girl who's with her is the nanny. Right. And then now that they're together and I'm, I, I'm just trying to, but what's interesting is when that happens, you really do have to be sort of on, you can't go fucking really, are you serious? Like you have to, you know, like I, I've often joked with my law partner that like, what would happen if somebody was telling us their story and I was going, Oh my God, what are you going to do? Like, holy shit. Like, that's nuts. Oh my God. Like, they, they don't want, like, your lawyer 
you just want them to just, uh-huh, sure, sure. Okay. Oh, and then, uh-huh. Yeah. And that happened. Sure. Sure. Like you have to, but you develop this. I mean, in court, you know, your honor, the suggestion that my client has an alcohol problem is utterly devoid of basis. In fact, this is rote speculation. They're weaponizing this. What about the fact your client had a DWI last week? Last week. Yeah. Last week. <laughs> well, obviously, you know, your honor, listen, no one is impervious from the possibility with the, the laws being where they are in terms of the blood alcohol content, where it is. Does that conclusively prove the fact that he's had on one occasion, perhaps one too many drinks and then operated a motor vehicle in order to return home to his children that night? You know, is it, well, it's his fourth DWI, fourth, 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 one, fourth. Okay. You know, to your honor, who among us has <laughs> not, not you, you, you just have to find like a way to sort of go like, mm-hmm, okay, sure. Uh, yep. Keep going. Okay. Yep. But I, that is one where as she's telling the story, I'm going, holy shit, this is going in the book. This is something. <laughs> this is, this is something. You know? I actually how- got an email from, because of course you know, as you have a legal edit. I had to change names and details. Right. But people still knew who they were. And it was all people that like, if it was, was a story like that, I always said to the person, do you mind if I share this in the book? And they were like, yeah, whatever. As long as you change, you know, I gave them the changed version of it. And, uh, you know, they, they, she laughed because they're still together and quite happy from what I can tell. You know, sometimes when things are born of these bizarre, adverse circumstances, like the bonds that come from that are very, very deep. So what happened? So was it, I mean, was it, I'm not, I'm not, not that well, I'm sure there are amicable divorces, right? Like you've had amicable. Divorces. Oh my God. Tons of, them. okay. Tons. No, but I mean, I what... more of them now, because you kind of don't hire me. If you're having an amicable divorce, there's much cheaper options. It's like so, if someone comes in and they're having an amicable divorce, I'd send them right back out the door. Like I'll go, here's a mediator. Here's his number. Go do that. If it breaks down and turns into warfare, call me. But if you could don't do it, you know, with a, with a chainsaw, if you could do it with a scalpel. Like, right. go, go do it, go do it the right way. Go do it the cheap way. Go do it the proper way where you're going to keep the goodwill between the two. It's just better on every level to have an amicable divorce. And most divorces are amicable. Most so, divorces are amicable. With the, the nanny, was yeah. that, did that end up being amicable? Oh, or, no, or, no. Oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> I was no. not, okay, was, was semi-amicable. Well, this is an interesting phenomenon, Matt, because, you know, I like to imagine, it's never happened to me, but- this is a fairly common thing that someone leaves for a same sex partner. So like a man says, look, I'm gay. And he leaves his wife or a woman says, listen, I I'm in love with a woman and this is how it is. And it's never happened to me, but I I'd like to imagine that if it did, that like, I don't think I'd be as upset you know what I mean? Like if, if a woman I was in a relationship with said to me, listen, I'm leaving you for another man. That's like, I want one like you, but not you. Right. Right. Whereas if you're saying I'm leaving you because I'm in love with a woman, it's like, all right, well, I don't even have that equipment. So like, yeah, I feel like I'm fighting biology that I, I, I yeah, right. I'm, I'm unequipped to, okay. if not, right. I do it that. the same way. Right. Like, like I don't serve that at this restaurant. Like, right. it's not that you don't like the restaurant. Like, you want sushi. This is a pizza. as a bad choice. You want pizza. And I'm, you know, I'm a, a Indian restaurant. Like, right. so, okay. Like, we don't, you know, dislike my food. It's just, this is what you want. It is quite the opposite in real life. In real life, people do not 
handle it well. Like, because it amplifies, I think, that sense of you lied to me. Like, you lied to me about what you want, which is weird because I, I don't know that that's always the case. I think sometimes people lie to themselves. You know, like, I've done a lot of divorces for men who came out of the closet, and they're like, I was lying to everyone that I was about being gay. I was lying to my family. I was lying, like, I couldn't face the consequences of being gay. Like, I didn't, you know, and I mean, it was a different time, I think, generationally. But, like, you find yourself thinking, like, oh, all right, I get that. You know, like, I get that. We've all backed ourselves into a corner, you know, at some point in our lives, some more than others. And I get it, you know, like, but, but in that case, he was so pissed. I mean, he lost his wife and he lost his girlfriend, sort of, you know, and, and he, he was going to take care of the kids and he did it to himself. Right. He did it to himself over something fucking stupid. Like the juice was not worth the squeeze, you know. Like I really hope you enjoyed those, like whatever seven, eight threesomes that you got to have with the nanny, because boy, did that fucking cost you. Because well, this was not on his wife's radar. Like he had to. It took him a couple of months of talking her into this, for this to happen, you know. So talk about being a an active participant in your own undoing. Yeah. But I think that what's interesting, the right response to that, I think is to be mad at yourself. But there's this human phenomenon where people are like, I can't fucking believe what you did to me. And it's like, you, she did to you. What did she do? You know, like, I mean, that's crazy. Like you, you caused this buddy, like, you know, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Like, I don't know what to tell you, you know? Yeah. There's so many people that typically have the, you know, inappropriate response to something, you know, they, that was a definition you know, fuck around and find out like that person fucked around and they found out, you know, and I think that turn that rage inward because, you know, you made your choices, learn from it for the next relationship. So my, uh, my wife had a question, um, for you, but you've already answered it. I just don't think she, I think she had walked out when, but you're currently single. You're not with I'm not married. You're I'm not married. married. I'm in a relationship. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I've been in a relationship for for a number of years, and 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 I'm very happy. Yeah. Okay. But I I I don't. And again, I I have no critique of marriage. I think that you know I understand why people marry, and I'm certainly happy that they do. It provides job security for me. But um, I I don't generally feel because I view marriage differently than other people do because I see it as a legal status. I see it as a, so I see the nuts, just like a surgeon looks at a person's body differently and a car mechanic looks at a car differently. I look at marriage differently. And so I don't need the government or the state to get involved in the way I interact with another person with whom I romantically involved. But I believe I'm, you know, I'm very much a romantic at heart. I'm I'm very much someone who sees tremendous value in love and I'm a very monogamous guy. I've never been a guy who was interested in running around with multiple people. I I, I enjoy being alone very much, but I also enjoy being in a relationship. Um, I don't cohabitate with my romantic partner um, because I I like having my own space and I, I and she does too. And um, we have a tendency like share we share some space and then we also have our own spaces. So it's kind of a nice thing 
you know, that we have like a shared space together. And then we have, you know, our own places to kind of go back to and retreat to. And I like that for me, for me that, you know, for me, relationships are about the you, the me and the we. And I think there's a tendency, which is good for my business, but I wouldn't want to emulate in my personal life to turn the you and the me into the we and let the we just kill the you and the me. But like your wife met you and you're the one she fell in love with. Like this, this autonomous island, this person, you know, this person that existed before her. And it's wonderful that love transforms us, but you know, you fell in love with her because she was this other person, this independent entity. And so I, I'm a big fan in a lot of my writing. I, I, I just try to encourage people to remember that it's wonderful to grow together and to have intimacy with each other in terms of, of the ability to be yourself with another person. But don't forget who you are and who you were when you met because that's a terrible loss to like, I love you so much that I'm going to try to extinguish who you are. That seems weird to me. Like, let this person be who they who they are. You know, let them blossom into the fullness of who they are independently. And that doesn't, that doesn't mean you aren't in love. It doesn't mean you're not monogamous. It doesn't mean any of those things. It just means that you're encouraging this person to be the best, most authentic version of themselves they could ever be, you know? And I can't think of a better compliment at the end of someone's life than to be able to say, this person helped me become the most authentic version of myself, you know? And, and to me, like, I love love. I love being in a relationship. I, I, I know I can't learn everything I need to know about myself from myself. I know I can't see my blind spots. That's where they're blind spots. Like I need someone to help me see them. But but I I always, for me, want a partner who's cheering for me. You know, I don't want a partner who's an automatic yes person. Um, but I, at the core, I really want someone who's like a fan. You know, and when I'm getting it wrong, I'm just gonna say you're getting it wrong, but I know you're capable of so much more. Like you're getting it wrong, but you're not a bad person. You're just getting it wrong. You know, and like. They're cheering for me. And to me, that's a beautiful thing. But yeah, I don't think I'd ever, you know, legally marry again. But I mean, listen, with a prenup, like marry as many times as you want. I mean, nothing more fun than getting married. The hard part's being married. Getting married is a blast. Um, <laughs> oh, uh, Your wife's yeah. in the background going I, like, Oh, yeah. She, you know, the normally, she's gone. Yeah, that's good. Normally, she would. She knows she's talking to a divorce that. lawyer. That's right. She knows she's talking to a divorce. Listen, what you should do, man, is you keep my card around. Just keep it around. And then yeah. if she's ever, you know, not on her best behavior, you just sort of go like, yeah, I was talking to Sexton the other day, you know, and that's. See, I, I, I feel like I'm I'm in a different category. because So I, I met my wife in the halfway house. Okay. And she was getting out of prison. Okay. And I was getting out of prison and okay. we started just after that, like we were flirting in the halfway house. She really fell for me in the halfway house. She doesn't want to admit that, but that's fine. Um, what so, a name for the, what a name for the book. You write it. Love in the halfway house. Love in the ha- I mean, half- falling in the halfway house. Like that is, um, well, you know, li- honestly, I, this is the way I feel is like, you know, you, she's been beaten up, you know, by society, by by just life in general. So her expectations were really low. Like that's really the place to get one because that is you're going to get a, a lot for your buck because they're yeah. down on their luck. They're living. She's living in her dad's yeah. spare room. I'm looking pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I also think there is something very true about what you're saying that I think 
You know, I don't know if you watched, this is my guilty pleasure. If you haven't watched it, you should. There's a show on Netflix called Love on the Spectrum. Yeah. Have you ever seen yeah. it? Yeah. Dude. I've seen a couple episodes. I am addicted to the show. And, and I will tell you why. Because it strips down to the core. These people just want to love someone and to be loved. Yeah. That's it. There's no, they're not overthinking it because they're kind of not able to. Right. And they're not reading too heavily into anything because they can't. Like they can't read cues properly because they're so on the spectrum. And they just, the joy that they find of like, will you be my girlfriend? Yes. Will you be my boyfriend? Yes. Like, okay, great. I have a girlfriend now. Okay. I have a boyfriend now. Like there is something about just stripping away all of the other stuff and just going like, I love stories of people that are like, dude, I fucked up. Yeah, I fucked up too. Like, you want to be fucked up together and figure it out? Yeah, let's do that. Like, let's just hold each other's hand and just walk through this thing and see where we can go. And like, she's in the background saying, she's in the background saying, you know, that's definitely us. I mean, think about it. She's living. That's a beautiful story. That's a beautiful story. Because, you know, if you're, if you were the incredibly successful person, and she, well, of course she finds that attractive. Right. Like, but there are people like, I have a buddy from college I just talked to and um, he, he's down on his luck a little bit and I helped him with some things. And he said to me like, oh man, you've been so good to me. And I said, you know, Mike, you were good to me when there was fucking no reason to be good to me. Like I had nothing to offer you. I had nothing. I was broke. Like I was the guy in college who would like go to the diner with everybody and I would eat all their coleslaw and pickles. Because I just couldn't afford food. Like I literally, I could afford a pack of cigarettes or food and I'd order, I'd get the cigarettes because cigarettes were like a buck 50 a pack back then. And I, I don't, I've quit smoking many years ago, but I, I, I look at people like that now and I just go like, man, you just loved me when there was no benefit to that. Like there was no, like, dude, you on paper when your wife met you, fuck that. Like, there's no way, like you are not the guy, yeah. like you were not the guy. And yet. You know, so now like when you're ascendant and you like succeed, it's like, well, man, that's a person who like, that is like, I would have such loyalty to that woman. And I'm sure she has such loyalty to you because there was such a like, the fuck were you going to get out of that? You know, like you were, you know, like that's amazing. Like, and to me, that's where people, if they can keep that gratitude, that sense of like, there are fucking 8 billion people in the world and you picked me. And you said, no, I'm in, like, I'm going to hold your hand and walk into the fire, whatever this looks like. Like, to me, that's like the most beautiful thing. Like, like, how do you not love that? Like I get misty eyed at weddings, you know, you're going to make me cry, bro. We stop. You're going to make me cry. Look, I might also get you laid later. I mean, it's listening in here. So this is like, you know, yeah, no, either way. I mean, you're right. Like I'm, I'm living in someone's spare room. She's living in her dad's. A spare room. I'm, you know, we're both barely making it. You know, this is right out of the halfway house. We're both talking. We we have to get permission from our probation officers to to date each other. I mean, it's it's the most pathetic thing. You know, we're meeting in hotel rooms. I'm I'm running my credit cards up. You know, just to get a hotel room. Like it was just it. And and then you know and then it ultimately you know we end up getting you know we end up moving in together. We get married. We you know. So yeah, it's, it's a, that's pretty- I mean, that's a great, great story though. Like it is a great story to have someone who, and see, that's why to me that 
I hope, look, all marriages end. They end in death or divorce, but they all end. And and everything ends, right? Like, yeah. it's very Buddhist of me, but like everything ends, you know? So, like, every story ends the same. Both of you die. So, what happens in between is what matters, you know? And and to me, like, I, I wish people could hold on to that. Like, like, it sounds like you're both still holding on to that story and that appreciation. Like, we do it in other relationships. Like, like if you have a dog, like people, you know, there's a lot of people that are dog people. I happen to be a dog person. And no one has ever looked at like an eight-year-old dog that they have had for eight years and gone like, I gotta get a new dog. I gotta get a puppy. This fucking dog's old. I've had for like eight years. Like, there's so many cooler newer nicer you know fuzzier looking dogs like you'd never look at it that way you love this thing more and more as time goes on like so why what is it about romantic relationships that we're just so quick to just be like oh this same old meatloaf like and not sort of go like hey this person is just you know they they locked in with me they're riding with me like they're loyal to me i'm loyal to them like and that can just be such a, a i think such a beautiful thing and then if it does end, if you can hold on to, well, we had a great run, you know, like we had a great run. Like I, I look at my ex-wife, I, we were married 12 years and we loved each other well, you know, we weren't right for each other for life permanently, but we loved each other well. We did the best we could do at the time. And I'm really glad we were married. And I'm really, I don't look at that and go, well, that wasn't successful. Like I... I tell my current romantic partner, like, if you broke my heart tomorrow, it had been worth it. It would have been worth it. Like, because like one day is the lion, you know what I mean? Like, I just like, if I, one, one week of really being loved and really loving someone break my heart, go ahead, break it. Like I got to have that. I got to have that experience. And to me, that's it. Like, that's everything, you know? So I'll never count the cost. Like, and I think that, you know, people like the relationship you have where all you had to offer each other was each other. Like that's a really pure thing. And, and that's, you know, it's a really nice thing. And that's, that's the kind of thing that if you can keep that in your line of vision, I, I, I don't think, you know, you, you ever end up in my office. Um, did you ever see the movie, um, Michael? No, wait, no. Um, city of angels. I don't think so. Don't well, think so. It, it's basically it's a, one of the angels decides not to be an angel. He falls in love, and it's um. Gosh, who? Is oh, was it Nicholas Cage? Nicholas, Nicholas Cage. Cage. I did see it. Yeah, very great. At the end, very she good. he spends one night with her, and then she gets hit the next day yeah. by a, a a truck, and it's over. And yeah. he the, his buddy's there to collect her, and he yeah. says, you know, and he's like, was it worth it? And he says, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I believe, I believe really that, that, you know, all of it is so uncertain. I have learned in my work how fragile love is and, and love is never permanently gifted. It is, it is on loan, you know, and it's either on loan with time, meaning this person will die someday and be taken from us or I'll die and be lost to them. Or the love changes and it it no longer works, you know, for one or both of the people. But the question is, is like, was it was it lovely to be loved and was it lovely to have someone to love? 
I believe it is. Like, I believe it is. I, I don't buy into the suggestion that, well, you know, things end this way, so why bother? You know, or you could be hurt, so why bother? Like, to love anything is just fucking crazy. Like, because to love anything is to, to accept the inevitability of losing it. But I believe you should love anyway, you know. But I, I, you know, my favorite poem is a poem, if you've never read it, you should look it up. It's a poem by Joseph Brodsky called um, A Song. And he wrote it after his wife died. And uh, I won't, you know, but you should look it up. But, but, but the refrain of the poem is, I wish you were here, dear. And it's, I wish you were here, dear. I wish you were here. I wish we sat on the porch and you sat near. It's a very sweet poem. But one of the lines is, I wish you were here, dear. I wish you were here. I wish I knew no astronomy when stars appear. Mm. And I love that line because the idea that like, if you've ever like studied astronomy, like it takes some of the magic of the stars away, you know, because you're like, oh, that's a flaming ball of gas. That's this many thousands of miles away. Like, whereas otherwise it's like, oh, these little beautiful lights in the sky, you know, like, and I, I think that doing what I do for a living, it's very easy to just become disillusioned with love and say like, ah, oh, love is like a con. Love is just a con. Like it's just the ultimate con. Well, but I was gonna say one of the things you you mentioned in one of the other inter interviews, what was that, you know, when these people, when they're in your office or, you know, whatever you're, you know, in the conference room and they're going at it. And he says, sometimes if you can take them back to yeah. when they first met, how it, they will transform back to that and it, it, it'll leave it, you know, they go back to that place. And I, and I, yeah. you know, I, I definitely think that it, it's funny. I, was, I, I hate that I'm mentioning all these movies, but did I, you I'm not very, but Lex Fredman and I half the cop, we, we recorded for five and a half hours. He edited it down to like four, uh, at least two of the hours was us talking about movies. True romance made it in like four other movies made it in. Well, there was like 15 that didn't. The wedding. What about the uh, um, the wedding crashers? Love it. Great. At the, at the beginning, when they're fighting, they're in the yeah. they're fighting, and he's like, well, he's like guys, "What are we doing here? Come on, let's yeah, get yeah. in here. We'll get some strange. Like, you move on. You had some fun. You made some bad choices together. Like, come on, what are you doing? Well, like, when, when he gets them to talk about when they first met, yeah, they immediately start. Hey, okay, you go ahead and have that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. No, no, that's your. That's what happens. Yeah, though. It's the truth. Because we get so invested in the conflict that it takes on a life of its own and you forget that we loved each other. Like there, there's a poem. I see we keep bringing up movies. I keep bringing up poems. There's a poem. It's called One Last Poem for Richard. And I forget who wrote it. You can look it up. But it's a poem this woman wrote to her ex-husband. And it's just basically says, well, I think it's actually over now, Richard. Like, and you've stormed out and you've stormed out before, but this time you know, you took your keys or whatever. And, and, and there's a line in it where she says, you know, um, we, we, something along the lines of that we loved each other as best we could, you know, and that there should be stars for wars like ours and champagne for the survivors, you know? And I really believe that like, if you kidding, you know, when you look back on a breakup 10 years later, you look at it with such a helicopter view and like, it's so much easier. I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. So I saw, I was in therapy for, you know, quite a bit of my thirties and forties. And, uh, 
then my therapist, you know, basically like retired. And so I had to, I went without being in therapy at all. And then I said, oh, you know, I want to go back into therapy. So I went to go find a new therapist. Now I'd been with this other therapist weekly for like 20 years. So this person saw me through a divorce, the death of my mother, like my children growing, going off to college, so many things, you know? So now I'm sitting down with a brand new therapist and I'm giving them sort of the cliff notes of my life. And I thought to myself, as it's coming out of my mouth, like, holy shit, like, this is just like a couple of sentences. Like, yeah, I was married for 10 years and then we got divorced and um, my son, like, dude, like, like your whole thing, like everything you said in your soft white underbelly interview, your prison, everything. It's like three sentences. Right. It's like three sentences. Like if there's a Wikipedia page of you, it's like a paragraph. It's it. And meanwhile, you were in it. Like you were in it. You went through it. You had the long nights. You had the near misses. You had all like. And so to me, like if you can find a way cognitively to get to that place sooner, where you can look at it and go, all right, let's look at it in the totality of the circumstances and let's have a little emotional distance from it and put it in context. But that's a very hard thing to do without time, lots of time. That's why would they say like time heals all wounds? Like, yeah, because time puts things in context, you know? So like if you were meant to marry your wife and that was your destiny, you know, to love her and to be loved by her, right? And to have something with her. Well, then you never would have done that if you hadn't done every fucking wrong, bad, illegal, crazy thing you did. And if you hadn't got caught, you owe the people who arrested you, the people responsible for you, you owe them a debt of gratitude. Because if you hadn't made every one of those choices, and every one of those things hadn't happened, you wouldn't have been in that exact halfway house at that exact moment. And the same thing's true of her. So I don't know, to me, like that tapestry is so cool, you know, like to look at and to go like, so that's why when people get, are getting divorced, like I'm always like, why can't you just approach the end? Like, okay, this is what happened. This is what it is. Like, see it clearly. Like, we don't know if this is good or bad, but it is what it is. It's, it's, you know, there's a, there's a saying someone said to me once, like, I, I love it, which is if you don't learn to find joy in the snow you will have less joy in your life and precisely the same amount of snow. And I think that that's the truth. Like if you don't learn to find joy in the pain that's coming at you, then you'll have less joy in your life and precisely the same amount of pain. So you just have to make the choice to just go, okay, this is part of whatever the universe's plan, God's plan, whatever you want to call it, karma, fate, you know, whatever. Like it, it is what it is. And I, I, I think it, if people could connect to that the right way, I, I think I'd be out of a job at some point. I don't think yeah. it's happening anytime soon. I was going to say there, I, I did, I did a podcast the other day with someone we were talking about, <laughs> uh, about Sam Bankman Freed. Sure. The guy from FDF. Sure, and, yeah. Yeah. And we were talking about like, what's prison going to be like for him. And I was explaining where, where he would go depending on the time, you know, yeah. so we're going back and forth and, you know, how bad will it be? And I was like, well, you know, here's the thing. If he's lucky, you know, he it, it, it'll take whatever, you know, well, part of the problem is he's going to be, you know, part of the problem is obviously he, he's going to 
file a, you know, he's, he's going to uh, yeah. appeal it. He's going to, so he'll have a couple of years of hope, Yeah, which really is a problem because yeah. it keeps, it doesn't really make you realize I have to make a life in here. So, yeah. but once he gets past that and his expectations of life are dropped dramatically and he realizes I'm going to do some time. Is he I'm even gonna, federal time? He's definitely federal. Yeah. He's, yeah, it's federal. Okay. Cause I was going to say, cause a lot of the problems my clients have is they end up in county while everything is pending. And and actually there's so much more in prison, like in state prison, there's so much more in terms of resources and shit to right. do and quality of life to some degree. There's a lot more violence sometimes too, but but there's certainly like like county, if you stay in county, you're getting like, you know, additional credit for that time. But like I, I didn't with federal, it's obviously it's a different animal. Yeah. Well, I mean, for right now, he's still in like the U.S. Marshals holdover, so it's right. basically county. It sucks. Yeah, now it's a better it quality of of criminal, but not that much great better. So my whole thing was once he goes to prison, is that I was saying, look, at some point, you know, once he realizes, once he, I don't have access to this and this and this, and I right. basically have to make a life in here, and I have to get a job, and I have to keep myself occupied, and I those sort of things. And I was like, at some point, he'll get a group of friends, he'll he'll get a group of guys that are like-minded that he can talk to that he can hang out with and if he can you know obviously the first part is that hey i made some mistakes like that's a huge thing like going to prison is probably the only time i really stepped back and not just said yeah yeah i've i've you know i broke the law but really stepped back and said wow you're kind of a scumbag bro like like you've done some really shitty things you know and 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 stopped um you know you, you basically justify, stop justifying everything, uh, making it okay. And just yeah. step back and said, Hey, you're just not a good person. Like what you've yeah. done is fucked up. But once you get, if you can, if he can get to that point, and then I was saying that at some point though, you'll be surrounded by a bunch of guys. You'll be playing a board game or doing whatever you're doing. You will be laughing your ass off about something or talking to somebody and in the middle of that, if in that in that moment, you'll realize like this is a great guy, like these are great guys, like this is a great moment. I this there's nowhere I'd rather be right now. Like right, yeah. this is great. Yeah. And you know, if he's lucky, he gets there. I'm like because that I think really, that's yeah. when you realize that you can be okay anywhere, anywhere, anywhere. Yeah. You know, and and it, it's a great because it wasn't until I think I got to prison you know, and did all of those things and got out of prison mm -hmm. that I can kind of say, like, I'm a, I'm a different person than I was when I went into prison, you know, yeah. myself different and the things that I did when I went in, not that I'm a, not that I'm saying I'm low and well, now I'm a really good person. But what I'm saying is that at least I can look at myself and say, here are my personality defects. Yeah. Here well, and I think you have a lot, <clears throat> a lot less to be afraid of. Cause I think when horrible things happen or, or, you know, incredibly traumatic things happen you realize like the human capacity for pain the human capacity for endurance is like so much greater than you'd think like like you survived very very difficult things like you you know and you you know i imagine that there's a period of time i don't know how long it lasts but you know i i just got over covid i first time i ducked it for almost four years and <clears throat> got it for the first time three weeks ago I was quite sick for about a week. Half my voice is still kind of weak. That's why I keep coughing as I'm still getting over it. Um, I'm negative now, I think. But, you know, 
the first four days I could literally could not breathe through my nose and my throat was killing me like you wouldn't believe. And I remember laying in bed and thinking, oh my God, if I could just breathe through my nose again, I would be so happy. Like I'll be so grateful. And I have to tell you for about a week after I could breathe through my, I every day got up and was like, oh my God, I can breathe through my nose. Like it is going to be a good day. It is going to be a good day because I can breathe through my nose. I know in like three weeks, I'm just going to go back to being the ungrateful fuck I am. Like, I'm just not going to get up in the morning and go, I can breathe through my nose. Look at that. Look at that. You know, good day. It is a good day. Like, I'm sure there was a time where you woke up and were like, oh my God, I'm not in jail. Like, this is awesome. You know, like my wife and I are, I feel like I'm still like that. Listen, somebody hope that is, and that's a gift. That's a super, it is. It is. Somebody cuts you off. There's a moment where I'm like, whoa. And then I'm like, you go ahead and get in. Go ahead, buddy. You're in a bigger <laughs> rush than me. Yeah. I get and let me tell you, that is a superpower. Okay, is listen, a superpower. I always say people have no idea. They have no idea. Like, like they have no idea how good they have it. Like, this is a magic box. Like, yeah. you have no idea. Oh. You can yeah. turn the TV. You can eat what you want. You go to bed when you want. You can, you decide to yeah. work. You decide that, like, you, like, the 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 choices that people complain about are such gifts and they have no idea how good it yeah, is. Yeah, how bad it could be. Well, there's a line to go to movies. There's a line in Fight Club where Tyler Durden says to the main character, where you are now, you can't even imagine what the bottom would be like. Like you can't even imagine what the bottom would be like. Yeah. Like most people, the shit they complain about. Most like I remember when I, I, I trained Brazilian Jiu Jitsu for many years and I've been to Brazil several times to train. And one time we were training at a boxing gym inside the Cantangelo favela. And you can't even go in the favelas, particularly the Cantangelo favela. It's where City of Angels, City of God came from. City of God was a very good film about. Yeah, that, I remember. That. Okay. So. It's run by drug cartels. It's like, if you went in, you'd just get killed. You either get killed or robbed or both. But the guy we were with who runs this boxing gym that's like for the kids in the favela is like, he's, he's a protected guy. So if you're with him, no one's going to no one's gonna bother you. So it's a big group of us and we're with this guy and everyone's just leaving us alone. And I, I walked through there and the level, I mean, there's just human sewage running through the things and see like a little kid like, dirty like playing with a doll's head like a broken doll's head like and i'm looking at this and going like the 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 poorest person on skid row is doing so much better than anyone in this place like the wealthiest person in this favela and we just don't like we're still so fucking unhappy so much of the time so i i i think when we can have that approach to life of like gratitude like a lot of what i do for a living people's dissatisfaction with their marriage is a function of how fucking good we have it that we just don't realize how good we have it like it does not have to be like we could just be so grateful for what we have and we choose not to be we choose not to be and it's to our own detriment to our own poverty but yeah look i think there's something to be said for you know for for um reminding yourself that you could do with a lot less and still survive and that you would still find moments of joy you know that, that my father is a vietnam veteran and he used to say how 
you know, in the middle of like this horrible setting, there were these moments of levity and joy, you know, where right. like, you know, and I found that in my own parenting journey. Like I, I remember I used to, I used to like want to bond with my sons, you know, I was a divorced dad and I wanted to like spend time with them and feel connected to them. And, uh, I would like make a plan, like, okay, I'm going to make this for dinner and then we're going to do this. We're gonna... And it would never end up the way I wanted it to. I would never feel the way I wanted it to. And then like every once in a while, like I just wouldn't have a plan and they'd be over and I'd be like, you want to go outside and throw the Frisbee? And he'd be like, yeah, sure. We go outside and throw the Frisbee. And all of a sudden they're talking to me and like telling me about their day and we're laughing. And I'm like, holy shit, this is the thing I was trying to engineer. Like, and it's just right. happening, you know? And I actually use that metaphor. I was talking to a friend the other day about sex, how, you know, all of us have had the experience where we, we're like, we're going to have like a sex night, you know, tonight, like we're going to get, you know, like she got the lingerie or you got the dinner and the candles or whatever you like make, but, and then it's good, but it was like, yeah, you know, like it was, it was like a little overhyped in your head or whatever. And then we've all had the experience where it was like a random Tuesday where you didn't right. even think you were going to have sex. And then the two of you, when you finish, go, what the fuck was that? And you go like, yeah, I don't know. I was who the stars aligned or I don't know what that was, but where did that come from? Like, and it was just like so good. And if you tried to have it be that good or hyped it up of like, you know, what's going to happen this afternoon, like it would be different. But the fact that it just like organically happened is so, and I think that that is, there's something to learn there. You know, that like you can just sometimes the trying to make the thing happen prevents the thing from happening. And sometimes just letting it, you know, let it enfold you, you know, let it wash over you. And I think if you if you let it wash over you, it enfolds you like sometimes there's tremendous joy that's just waiting, you know. What I mean, in in your book, do you go over? I mean, I mean, you kind of said it already but do you go over discuss um what what is what is your yeah let me try and say that sure why do you feel like most marriages end i think it's i think it's like bankruptcy i think it's very slowly and then all at once i think it's disconnection i think i think if we just took little steps every day to remember for ourselves and remind our partner that we love them and we chose them that we would never end up in my office but it's little things so the challenge i give to my male friends is to leave your wife a note just every day or a couple times a week just leave her a note like a little note just so glad we had that date on the couch last night. I'm I'm married to the prettiest girl in the world. You know, can't wait to see you again. Text don't just count. leave it. Text don't count. Just leave her. You know what? Text might count. No, text could count. Listen, you send her a text that says, you know, I had such fun hanging out with you last night." Or I'm. So you gotta excited. know. You gotta. So you got. You gotta know, by the way. Yeah. You, oh, you, I gotta you gotta know, know yeah. they count. I think the hand, I think there's something about a note because then they can, you know why they like shoes so much is so they can keep the fucking boxes and keep every card we ever gave them and every note we ever gave them. I think that's the truth because, you know, you like a girl breaks up with a guy and it's like, 
you know, fine, screw you. You know, girl, guy breaks up with a girl. It's there's you better tuck in for a day because there's going to be testimony and evidence. You know, they're going to be like, what about this card I've marked for Exhibit A that you gave me at Valentine's Day? Did you not say that you love me and would love me forever? I, I don't recall saying that. Well, what, here's the card. You said it in the card. So that's why they keep all that stuff in the shoeboxes, you know. But I, I really do think that that if you leave a note or if there's just some small mindfulness, that the connection that builds even from that like the first few days, most of my friends have been like, yeah, she wanted to know if I was cheating on her. Like she was like, what the fuck are you, why are you leaving me notes? Like, what are you doing? You know, what's your agenda? But after a while, like most people, I think, figure out that like, if you're really, most women, if you ask them in my experience, do you want four hours with me where I'm pretty distracted, checking my phone and kind of half there, but half not? Or do you want an hour where you have my undivided attention and you are the only person in the world and the only thing that they will hand seven days a week and twice on Sunday, they will take the hour instead. Like, so I think there is something to be said for just real mm. small intimacies, like in intimacy. We, we mistake sex is a form of intimacy, but intimacy is defined as the ability to be completely yourself with another person. And so to me, I think the the thing you can do to prevent ending up in my office before all the cheating and the finance, like all that shit is a side effect of the underlying problem. The underlying problem is disconnection because at some point you were deeply connected, just like at some point you were deeply grateful you could breathe through your nose or you're deeply grateful that you weren't in prison anymore. Like at some point you looked at this woman and you went, holy shit, I can't believe I'm going to get with her. I can't believe it. Like, I can't believe like she's fucking giving me the time of day. Like, this is incredible. And she was looking at you going, oh my God, I can't believe I found this guy. I can't believe this is the guy. Like, this is the guy. And she's still that person. You're still that guy. Like, you just forgot. Like, it's just not in your line of vision. So to me, anything you can do that puts that person back in your line of vision, whether it's <clears throat> just reminding that person of a memory, like what, I mean, what's, what do you have to lose? What does it cost? Like, what would it cost you to say to your wife after this call, you know, hey, babe, remember that time where we did da 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 and we did this and da 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 That was great. Like, I think about that sometimes. It, like, that's such a low percentage move. It, it didn't even cost a penny. It, it is. And, and I noticed that um, periodically we do that already. Yeah. You, know, we, you know, and you're right. Every time we've been, we've done that, it, there is this kind of moment you know, there's that last that honestly sometimes can change that the the remainder of the day. Right. Right. Saying, if, you know, she's putting on chapstick and she'll say, do you remember we that that night we first met and we kissed so much like I, we couldn't see each other for four days because our, I'm like, oh, yeah. yes, all right. And we would talk about and joke and laugh yeah. about that first uh, month, how bad uh, it was. And then, and then the next day or an hour later, you kiss her again and you go, you know, I still really like kissing you. Yeah. Like, we don't kiss as much as we did those first days, but you know, I still really like it. Like there is something about that that's so real and transformative and beautiful and honest. Like it's honest because it's, it's not like you ever stopped loving this person. It really is that you just, the world gets in the way. It gets distracting. You get caught up in other things you want to be a good provider, you want to be a good partner, or you want to deal with all the shit that's going to make sure the turkeys comes out right, or you want to whatever, you know, like the truth is like, 
at the end of the day, like I said, there there was eight billion people in the world and you picked each other. And like I, I just believe that there's so much value in I even have friends who have taken the ideas from my book and built it into their routine. So like I have a a, a friend who he they once they go for what they call a walk and talk and they do it every like Saturday or Sunday. And they've built into that telling the others something they did that they really liked that week, you know, and, or if there's something that, that they, that went the other way, they'll sometimes work that in too. But it's usually, they make a point of saying like, oh, you know, I felt really loved when you did A, B, and C. And I, I think that's such a cool thing because <clears throat> I know sometimes, like, I think I know everything and I, I know I don't, you know. And I think I understand my partner, but I know sometimes I, I probably don't like we're a different species to some degree, you know? Right. And when sometimes she'll say to me something she liked that I did and I'll go that like, I didn't even, you know, like, Oh, you went and you know, you, you, you took the recycling and didn't ask or, you know, like you always, Oh, you made my tea and you like left me the tea, you know? And it's like, that like that was such a nothing throwaway thing or oh you asked about how my sister's doing you know and like you know i thought it was so sweet that you said that you know and i'm like really like i'm i'm like planning on like buying some shit to give to you and thought that was gonna impress you and this impressed you like it's my sister's six years older than me and i remember when i was a like young guy and she was like at her college age or a little older i would listen to her talking with her girlfriends and the stuff that they would say they liked about a guy, like I remember being like, I should write this down. Like, this is fucking not what we thought. Right. Like, because rarely were they like, and he has an eight pack. Like, they, we're not about that. They were like, yeah, he's like, so like, you know, he, he listens to this and he said this. And I'm always like, oh, okay. So like, they're way more impressed by that, you know? Like, and so as a break, I, I really think sharing with your partner, no one likes, like, no one ever dislikes being told what they did well. You know, like no one dislikes being told you did a great job. Right. Like, so saying to someone like, oh, I loved when you did X, Y, and Z, like constructive criticism is still just criticism. Well, so, you mentioned, you mentioned in another interview where you said that you had the one client and she said she knew, she knew it was basically was that going her, the marriage was over or going granola. downhill when the husband granola. stopped buying the granola bar. Or, or the yeah. granola. Yeah, granola for her yogurt. Yeah. Yeah. Which was something yeah. that was so silly and small. But it wasn't. For but her, it wasn't. It, it was, was a symbol. Huge. Yeah. Right. It was an indicator. It was the canary in the coal mine. You know, like it was the thing. Like the granola showed you were paying attention. And when the granola stopped, it was an indicator that you're not fucking paying attention anymore. You know? And, and, and that is why, like, to me... Do you just let that go or do you go, okay, wait, let's fix this before it becomes a real problem. Like that's why the title of my book is if you're in my office, it's already too late. Like if divorce is anything other than a passing thought you occasionally have when your spouse does something particularly boneheaded, like that, you know, most of the time, like, you know, if it's already in my office, it's bad, you know, it's better to just, we all have moments where we just feel disconnected from our or we feel disconnected from ourselves and therefore also our partner. And that's the time to try to lean into finding some connection. And it's so easy. Like, it's so easy to feel connected. It's so easy to 
to to honestly tell your partner the things they do right, you know, the things they do well, and and let the those wins build on top of each other. <clears throat> you know, and I, I've always said like this is a leverage that people don't exert enough because it's so easy. Like it's so easy to you can tell your spouse all the things that you you um wish they would do or that they don't do that you really wish they would do or you can criticize the things like why like that's not going to help you know why not parse it in a way that leans into the positive you know like i've always said like rather than criticizing if there's something you want to do in bed with your partner rather than like you know just calling an audible in bed and trying it you know and just freaking everybody out like you know there's ways or saying like how come we never blah 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 which then is is setting it up for them to explain why we're not doing that or making them feel like they've done something wrong by not doing that. Why not go, you know, I had the hottest dream about you the other night. It was crazy. Really? What was going on? I was weird. I don't even know where a kid, but we we were doing it's not something we normally would do. What was it? And then you just, and then it's like, really? Yeah. Was that something you like? I don't know. In the dream, it's pretty good. You know, like I don't, we've never done it. But remember we used to do that kind of dream about it. Like, whoo, it brought me back to how good that was when we used to do that. Who's not going to jump on board? Who's not going to go like, oh yeah, I could do that. Like, you know, like, because it's, it's, it's so subtle of a distinction, but it's a real distinction. Right. I think you're going to stay out of my office. I got, I got, I got, I, feel, I got a good I, yeah. feeling. I got a good feeling. I don't listen the whole time. I, it's just the. I'm getting the little, little tiny, uh, uh, little bits and pieces of, yeah, uh-huh. I'm sending her an inscribed copy of the book. Oh, I'm gonna, nice. I'm going to say, I'm going to say, you don't need this book, but I hope you like it. <laughs> what, what is it? Oh, my God. <laughs> you read oh, me at all. <laughs> it was a gender thing. Oh, my God. That's it. That's it. Um, this is me mansplaining it. Uh, I mean, you know, I, 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 I there's, a, there's a lot of female divorce lawyers, uh, but uh, I, I'm the only one who wrote the book, so it, it's a weird thing. It was such. But a it's good to know that both of us, you know, it's good to know both genders see some of these same things. You know, I think these are human things. Like, I don't, I don't think that I, I even think they're true of, of you know, uh, same sex couples. Like, I think it just has to do with human connection. I mean, even a lot of the things I've said. They don't even just apply to romantic relationships. They reply to, you know, they apply to any number of types of relationships, you know, interactions with family members, interactions with business colleagues. Like, I think a lot of it's just how we relate to another human being. It's hard to navigate yourself, you know, much less another person, you know? So it, it I just think it can be such a lovely thing to, to leverage those good things. You know, that's, that's such a, such a, uh, I, I have for a divorce lawyer, I have an abundance of optimism. Yeah. Oh, listen! What a mistake it was to 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 mention. Yeah, you said when she was leaving, and she said, "So, oh no!" When and she said, "Um, so are who are you? What are you doing today?" I said, "Oh, I have a I have a podcast." I said, "You know," I said, "It was this attorney." I said, "I said we were supposed to do it before, and then he had a um he had a trial that went longer, and 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 she's like, who is it?'" And I explained, "Oh, okay." Next thing I know. Sudden, she's around. 
See that? Oh, and she, knows. Just, she watched this your soft white underbelly. Oh, a boy. long time ago. Okay, now. Oh boy, in the oh, back, boy. But you know, right. here's the thing. You know, just to let you know, she's unlike you and I. She'll watch. She also watches the, um, you know, the fit and all ones. The mm-hmm. I can't, and I mean, we'll be at the gym. We wake up around around four and we go to the gym around like say five five well yeah five. you and i are in the same same we're in the same habits you and i and and she'll you know she listens to she'll yeah. listen to the drug addicts and the this and she just oh my god and i'm like how can you watch those yeah and she's like oh okay well okay she said no i know she didn't usually watch all of them all the way through but uh, she will watch it. it's like me i watch some of it and i it i watch enough to remind me how goddamn lucky i am yeah you know and and um and also I can tell sometimes like if there's a redemption arc, like because the part that's hard for me is like like I can I'm an animal person so like I can watch the thing about we found this abandoned dog and it was near death's door and it had been terribly abused, and then it got rescued and now it's doing so great like that I can watch that shit all day long, but if it's like and it was abused and terrible and yeah it's still kind of fucked like okay well I don't want to like now I'm just leaving feeling terrible. Like, yeah. so I, I think if it has a redemption arc, it's easier to, to get through, you know, but listen, those kinds of human stories are, are amazing. But yeah, next time, if, you know, if we have another conversation, you just have to tell her that like, oh yeah, I'm meeting with a dude who, uh, I don't know, makes the shit up. you like, I just got out make me a boring white collar criminal. Yeah. I, and I'll like an embezzler yeah. or something like that. Ponzi scheme guy. He's not interested. Yeah. But another one of these Ponzi guys, you know how it is, you know? Yeah. You tell her you're talking to a divorce lawyer. It's going to be hovering nearby. You know? well, why did you write your, your, I mean, obviously like your, I, I'm, a, I'm, this may be an assumption, but you know, I'm assuming you obviously have a, a very a successful practice. Yes. Yep. You know, you're yep. doing, you're doing well. Like why? Oh yeah. You- I made no money. I mean the book, you know, you make it like a six figure advance, but your agent gets a third and <clears throat> government gets their piece of it. <laughs> I joke that I make more in a month than I did as a divorce lawyer. I make more in a month than I did in the whole book. Like you make nothing on books and you do very well as a divorce lawyer. Um, no, I, I did what I did. Um, I wrote the book because I'd been doing the same job for 20 years at that point. And as much as I really love my work, it just felt a little like the same thing every day. And I love to read and I'm a big reader, a voracious reader. And I was listening to an interview with Stephen King and he they were asking him how he manages to write like three books a year. And he said, well, if you write a page a day in a year, you have a book. Yeah. And I thought, well, I could probably write a page or two every day. And I'm like, you know, I get up at 4 a.m. every day. And I usually have about a half an hour that I drink my espresso. I check email. I kind of just sit there and stare into the middle distance. And then I go to the gym. And because gym doesn't open till five. So, um, instead I just would write a little bit during that window. I would get up, have a little espresso and I'd write. And sometimes I'd write a page. Sometimes I'd write 10 pages in that 45 minutes, but within like four months I had a book. Yeah. And you know, I gave it to a friend who's a writer and he read it and he was like, yes, it's great. He's like, let me, let me, you know, you should send it to some agents. And I found a literary agent, Richard Pine at Inkwell. (laughs) And I sent it to him and, um, he liked it. At the time, it was just a book of stories about divorces. It was not a self-help book. It was not relationship advice book. It was just like stories. 
And he said, this is really good. I think it would be better if it was like a self-help book, if it was the themes and then the stories backing up the themes or illustrating the themes. And so that's what I changed it to. And we shopped it out to a bunch of publishers and Macmillan Henry Holt uh, was the one that that we got a couple of offers, but Macmillan Henry Holt picked it up and they had the creative team that I really liked. It was an all female um, editorial team at the time. And um, I thought that was really cool because it was a, it was a male perspective and, and I didn't, because it was very much tied into like male female relationships. I didn't really want it to get into like a misogynistic tone. I wanted it to be something that was, it had some female influence. <clears throat> so having an editor, Serena Jones, who's still with Henry Holt McMillan, um, she was a great editor because she she saw things that I didn't see because I had my blind spots as a guy. And um, she brought asked interesting questions that I would then jump in to try to answer. And yeah, the book, um, it's been a fun little footnote, you know, but it, I mean, my job's a full-time job and then some. I mean, being a divorce lawyer is like, the law's a harsh mistress. Like I, I work all the damn time. So um, I, I say no to about 90% of the media requests that I get. I, I once saw an underbelly hit. I got invited on, no joke, at least a hundred other podcasts, you know, and I've turned a lot of them down um, because I, I, a lot of them, it's just me saying the same stuff over and over to someone who just wants content and has no real um, point of view that's in any way tied to what I'm doing. I, I was excited to do this because I've enjoyed your show and I do enjoy your show as a consumer. And, you know, I, again, you were one of the few software underbelly interviews I watched all the way through. And I saw so much commonality in the way we, our work, for me, my my work as a lawyer for you, at one time you were more illicit work. And now I think your work doing doing the interviewing that you're doing and doing the perspective and writing that you're doing. Like we have to put ourselves in another person's mindset and shoes and try to understand the levers of persuasion and like, I, I think that's a very interesting thing. So I'm, I'm really glad we had a chance to chat. You know, I was looking forward to meeting you. Yeah. I, and I'm, I definitely want to meet your wife at some point now. I feel like I know her because she's she's the third interview. She's, yeah, she's a character. I mean. She's married to you. She'd have to be. Yeah. So, I mean, you know. I mean, she's uh, definitely. So, I, so she was in the military, got out, got married, was a hog, a, a tour guy. I always say hog hunting. Basically, a, a hog hunting tour guide for six years with her ex husband, where they took people out and they haunted, they hunted hogs and and gators and, and things like that in Florida. Then you know, then she ended up. They got you know they got divorced and they they you know went their separate ways. They got hooked on you know drugs and she ended up in a meth conspiracy. Ended up getting five years, going to prison, getting out and meeting me. But so our our we have a very in some ways we have very traditional roles and in some ways it's like I, I tell you out of I take I take the garbage out once out of every probably 10 uh I you know my old car breaks down she pulls out the jumper cables and jumps it I say she says hey you're she's a um uh she is a marine mechanic so she works on boat engines so you can you know it's you are never right. going to be bored, my friend. You are you you've got a wellspring of knowledge yeah. and experience on tap right there. I mean that is so. It's you do not you don't meet you don't meet a hog hunter that often. Do you know what I mean? It's just not a 
you know, marine repair person. These are these are not these are not traditional. Her dowry would have been significant. You know what I mean? In olden times, that is impressive. Oh yeah, she's so been big on the uh, if the um, if the grid goes down. <clears throat> like, don't worry, we'll we'll I, I can hunt and I can and I'm like yeah. I'm not worried. I'm yeah. I'm not worried about the grid yeah. going down. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're like up. I would prefer the grid not go down. Let's let's work on let's that. Work on that. Yeah, yeah. Let's focus on that. Yeah. You see, like if if there's a if there's a nuclear attack, I'm like, look, I want to be under the bomb. Yeah, like yeah, I want to be. I want to even not know what happened. Right. I want to be lights out. Yeah, me too. In the I Walking stick Dead, around. she's one yeah. of the survivors in the Walking Dead. I feel oh, like no. I'm one of the Walking Dead. I oh, don't for make sure, it. for sure. Oh yeah, no, I'm definitely the guy that's like, nope, sorry, not sticking around for this. Yeah, I don't so. want to see how this ends. Yeah, well, listen, man, I, 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 I would not expect you to be married to anyone boring. And I would not expect anyone particularly boring to want to be married to you. So it sounds like um, it sounds like you've made good choices. So yeah. hopefully, well, I, I I clearly have to. I'm gonna have to get a notepad or something. Get a notepad. It's worth it. It's a small investment. You know what? You know what? I've already done that, and I'm gonna let you go. I'm gonna give me one more minute. I'm gonna listen. Yeah. She and her father went to visit relatives. And I took notes because she wanted my book to read my book. And I actually took and wrote notes and stuck okay. it like every 10 or 20 pages of the book. Right. Right. This is how I know. Why? read my book. Why'd, why'd you do it? I Because I was, you know, so in love and I wanted, I thought it'd be sweet. I knew she'd love it. I think okay. out of 10 notes, I think she read maybe three. She's, right. Well, I mean- a next time write a more interesting book you know what i mean <laughs> i mean way. that's on you you know I, I mean, she only got through the first got great reviews what happened is matt is she put it down because she picked up my book and she just was like i got it this book is much more interesting than matt says she's buying your book right now oh I'll this, is it all I, this is all i need this is the yeah, yeah. this was a mistake Matt, you talking, got no one to blame but yourself talking yeah, to my yeah. you're like this whole thing was a mistake this is a terrible i'd be a terrible decision well, you know, wow. be the worst decision you've ever made. That would be a real, that'd be an accomplishment. You know what I mean? My, That's, yeah. Yeah. And a, a yeah, anyone who served time and, and I'm their worst mistake. The bar is really not. impressive. Yeah. Uh, my booking agent constantly is mentioning, you know, he'll, he'll give me people. And I'm like, he's like, Hey, what about this guy? I'm like, did that guy commit a crime? And he's like, well, no, but he, this, but he, that and I'm like, okay, stop bringing me people that didn't commit a crime or aren't in law enforcement. That's it. And then, um, and it, and then he, when he called up and said, he, he, he said, listen, you know, I, I have James Saxton. And I was like, hey, yeah, sec well, sorry. What Sexton? Sorry. Common mistake. <laughs> sorry. Um, and, uh, and I had, I, it was, I did mention to him that I yeah. think you're, this was like a month or so before. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, he, and I was like, he's like, but you know, he hasn't committed a crime. I was like, I don't care. Yeah. I, I don't, well, I'm. I haven't been incarcerated for any of them. There you I mean, go. I are caught for any of them. I mean, we've all committed crimes. This is a question of, you know, which which ones have we been caught up? But yes, no, I I think uh listen, man, I like I said, I was excited to do this. I'm glad we got to meet. I uh I I felt as as I think you've gone through, you know, when when you give a long form interview like that, and then you get the kind of views that you and I both got in our interviews. Like a lot of people know a lot more about you than you do about them. You know, like, oh, yeah. I, I, 
there's 25,000 comments on my video. Like, and I, I can't possibly read them all. I've read like 10 of them. And all these people know a lot about me now. Cause I talked about a lot of stuff, just like you talked about a lot of very personal stuff. So it's very funny. Cause I felt like I know you a little bit. Like I was like, Ooh, Matt. Yeah, I definitely want to do that. Like I've listened to that guy talk like longer than I've listened to a lot of people talk in my life, you know? So uh, I was excited to do it, but yeah, man, no, this is big, great. And, uh, like I said, I love your show. I, I really enjoy it. I enjoy the people that you talk to. And I um, I think you have a really cool point of view. And um, this conversation went in the directions I thought it would because I I, I I I didn't know too much about your personal life in terms of your current marriage and and, and you're the way you approach it. You mentioned it a few times on the show, but not not too many. Um and and I think it's it's uh it's really neat that there, that you have the gratitude that you have and that you and she found each other in the circumstances that you did. Um, and that, that, that hopefully you guys, you know, keep that in your line of sight, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll be cheering for you. Certainly. Listen, always the thing that takes you down. My, my wife is in the other room and she goes, I hope you're recording. Oh yeah. I know. This is my problem. When I talked to like Mark, I met, I met Mark in the, in the bar of like the W hotel in the city. And we started talking for like 15 minutes. He goes, all right, dude, we, we got to go upstairs and put the camera on because like, this is, we're missing stuff right now. But yeah, I was on, I was on Mark's site as a fan and watched all of his stuff. And my secretary comes in she goes, yeah, Mark, guy named Mark called from something soft belly, some kind of soft belly. And I, I actually like dogs a lot. So I contribute a lot to dog rescues right so she's like is that like a dog rescue you donate to like soft belly and i was like no 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 there's a website that it's like it's like uh, true stories i said i don't know and i thought wow is he like did my credit card get declined that he's like making his own phone calls for the five dollar a month thing because that feels a little desperate and uh so i call him and i'm like uh hi it's jim sexton and he's like hey it's mark liott from soft Belly. and i recognize the voice yeah and i was like oh wow how you doing he goes good good listen i wanted to see about you coming on the show and i said well you know i'm not a sex worker or a fentanyl addict right and he goes uh yeah yeah i'm trying to branch out a little bit there's only so many of those you can do and i said uh yeah i said if you think there's anything anyone to be interested in you know I, i'd be happy to do it and he goes no i think you have some interesting stuff so i went in and i met with him and i just you know that you you've done it so you know you just go in and he's such a great conversationalist but he's good at kind of cueing it and the way he has the room set up, you kind of forget that you're not just talking to somebody. And I just, bleh, you know, went and we finished. And I said, well, how long was that? He said, oh, it was about an hour and a half. I said, wow, it didn't feel like that. And he said, oh my God, he goes, we could have done another two hours. And I said, well, I, I hope, you know, it was good. The next day he texted me and he said, you know, that was one of the best interviews I've ever done. And I think it's going to do really well. And I thought, oh, I bet he says that to all the boys, you know. I was like, I bet that's just the thing he says. So I went back and I said, well, it was great to meet you. And I'm a big fan of the site. And, you know, so I just left. And about three or four days later, we said, look, it's going up this week. And I'm telling you, you're gonna get, we're going to get 4 million views. And I said, I really, I, I think you might be overestimating how interesting I am, but let's do it. That's great, you know. And within like two weeks, it had a million and a half. And then it was up to two or three. Now it's almost at four. So, and it's a couple of months, three months. So yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I think, I think there are, I think he's telling unique stories and I think 
you know, it's the reason why I enjoyed watching yours is that I, I just think that unique lived experience of that kind presented in an unfiltered way. You just can't beat that, you know? And, and, um, I guess what I do is interesting for me, you know, whoever discovered water, it wasn't a fish. Like I'm in the thing. I don't see it. I, I, it's just what I do. But every once in a while, there is this phenomenon where I'll be talking to someone and I'll say, oh, I have this trial next week. And they're like, what's it about? And I'm like, oh, this guy was sleeping with the nanny. And then the nanny, you know, ran off with his wife because they'd had a threesome and, you know, and they're looking at me like, what did Jesus? And I go, oh yeah, no, I guess that, yeah, I guess that is kind of weird. Right. Like, I guess that is a, a thing like, but to me, it was like, well, it's a fact pattern. And how am I going to put this evidence in? And like, I don't look at it that way. You know, I, I, I don't hear how interesting it is. So I, I don't think much of what I have to say. I used to joke with my publisher that my book should have been titled, you know, advice I just pulled out of my ass because it felt like it was like, well, yeah, like talk to your partner, you know, like try to communicate, try to do the little things for them so that you don't ever get too far apart from each other. Like this didn't feel like anything revelatory, you know, but, but apparently there's a hunger for it out there. So I'll take it. Yeah. I was, I was going to say at the end of my interview with Mark, he said, um, you know, I was like, okay. And you know, he's like, oh, you know, well, thanks. You know, well, thanks. I really appreciate it. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And I'm getting off the thing. And as I was getting off, he said, uh, you're getting off the stool. I'm kind of trying to take the, you know, my off. He said, he said, yeah, I definitely think I'm going to use this. And I went, well, was there a question? Was there a question? Yeah. And he goes, oh yeah. He said, I, I do, I, I do. He said, at this point, I'm up to doing two or three a day. You'd be shocked how many I don't use. And I'm thinking, I flew across the country. Like, yeah. I was like he's like, yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't like to mention that to people. I'm like, what yeah. The shit? yeah. Like, but I have to tell you, it's so funny because again, like having watched the finished product of yours and I, I really do love all of Mark's work, but some of it, it just feels like I understand why he's trying to touch on some other areas because some of the commonalities, like it, it's just so sad to watch it. Like it's, it, there's no redemption arc in a lot of them, you know, and, and it's like really, really painful and it's really, you know, everyone's story is unique, but some of the themes are exactly the same, you know, people having difficult dysfunctional childhoods, getting involved in substance use issues and or being raised with people with substance use issues and intergenerational trauma and, and having that manifest in substance use and mental health issues. So it's like, you know, a lot of it's the same, but so I watch all of them, but I don't make it all the way through all of them. Cause I think that one of the things that makes Mark so skilled is that he lets people tell their story. And so you end up with two hours, three hours, an hour, you know, yours, I watched beginning to end. And I think in one sitting, which was really surprising to me because I have very little attention span for sitting and watching a thing. And, and so I sat and watched it, but I really did. It felt like if catch me, if you can was like modernized because I, every time I've read the book or, or watched the film, catch me if you can, which is really, I think the most detailed look into the life of a con man technically right. is it all relies on the lack of an internet, you know, like none of this shit that he did, you could ever do now because it would just be so easily, you know? And so yours was more of like the true like confidence, you know, like the true, like one of the things I think you and I have as a commonality is I have found in my career that the 
the bravado or confidence with which one conveys information is like the most powerful force. Like it's, it's the most, I was actually having this conversation with a friend of mine last night because I'd been invited to a bunch of Thanksgiving, you know, whenever someone knows you're like a single guy, they, they always say like, Oh, do you want to you know, come to our place for Thanksgiving? The truth is like, no, I don't like, I'm so happy to just not have to interact with anybody. Like right. I feel I'm liberated from it. Once my kids were old enough that I didn't have to like do a Thanksgiving for them. I was like, this is fucking great. I'm going to just hang out and do nothing. I'm doing a jigsaw puzzle. That's what I'm doing. So people invite you and they're very well-intentioned. And I don't like saying to people, oh yeah, I'm not going to come because I just don't like to, or I don't want right. to. Like that feels rude, you know, like, oh, I thought you were going to come. Like, well, I was going to, but then I just went on living my life. Like that feels rude. So I was saying to this friend that, that you know, if you say something confidently enough, the human desire to make sense of what you're saying and to look like you know what you're talking about overrides logic. So I would say to my friend, like when, you know, when someone says to me, like, oh, can you come to this thing next Tuesday? I'll say, like, oh, Tuesday? Yeah, see, the thing, you know how Wednesdays are, like Tuesday happens and then it's Wednesday, and then sometimes, you know. Like there's so many trees in my yard right now that like all the leaves are off of them. And then there's people that come and it's the whole right. thing. And then, you know, so obviously like I'd love to, but I, I'm not gonna be able to make it. And I just said nothing. But you as the listener go, uh, wait, so the, the tree, he can't come, but because of trees, but that, I, well, maybe I missed something. Like, I don't want to look stupid. And they go, oh yeah, no, that's fine. Of course. Yeah. Like, cause they, they cut to the core, which is you can't come. Right. Um, so I think that's something you and I have in our past or present vocations in common, which is this ability to sort of shift optics and and do this sort of sleight of hand that has a person look over here instead of over here. You know, so right. I, I I found your story fascinating. I I I, I mean, I appreciate it. <laughs> um. Um. I, I so. I typically do not love whenever people mention the, that interview with mm -hmm. me, I typically say, yeah, I was like, I was in full, but full, you know, full flame, full mode psychopath mm -hmm. during that interview. I mean, I just straight, just walked in. I was irritated. I, we were in, you know, his, his, like most people don't realize that, that Mark's studio is on skid row. Yeah, I had no idea it was on Skid Row. I oh, remember yeah. I used to hear like if I watched one, and I, I'm the same way. I watched five minutes. It, to me, they're so depressing. They are. It, I can't. People are missing teeth. People have you know they they've got their they're missing eyeballs. They're yeah. it's horrendous. Their lives are horrible. They've been sex trafficked. I'm just like I, I, I can't I can't do this. I have enough problems. Yeah. Yeah. I can't of the anxiety of your of your life. Yeah. So, yeah, the hospital's full. I can't. Right. I can't take any more. <laughs> so, so I, um, I, I like I said, I never get through them. But so when I would hear the sirens on those interviews, I always thought, oh, that's funny. He pumps in like he puts a. Yeah, that's a sound effect. No, mm -hmm. people are outside screaming. People okay. are yelling. We got inundated with uh, homeless people when we got out of the car. Them asking him for money. Nobody asked me for money. 
They don't. I, he's I, known as like kind of, you know. I've walked around like San Francisco and L.A. Nobody ever asked me for money. And I remember thinking, I just don't look like the kind of person you can ask for money. Yeah, you look like you wouldn't give it to me. Right. Yeah, I, I, yeah you're looking. That's not, that's yeah. not the way this goes. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. he, um, anyway, yeah, it was that. It was that. I, I'd had a horrible um, interview uh, the day before I had had, I'd had just a series of bad things and I was irritated when I got there. Then we drive down in the middle of this hell hole. We're in yeah. it. All these guys, we get in there. I'm thinking, what am I doing? Where am I? What's going on? So I just immediately just was, and you get, and when I look at it, I can see it. I could, I'm, I'm but I think that's cause you can see it. Yeah. You're, right. you're caught up. I think in the, in the, cause you know yourself so well, I think that for someone who because look, I've, I've enjoyed your, your, your podcast as well. And there's definitely a different layer of you, you know, than that interview, that interview is, I, I always actually attributed that to the fact that you were, you were relaying in its timeline and totality, something that you've transcended, you know, and I know when I talk about the past, especially about parts of the past that, you know, caused negative repercussions in my life, you know, as much as I feel some distance from it, it still was me and I still remember what it felt like. And it feels like I'm, you know, when I talk about it, I, I have to sort of emotionally experience it a little bit, you know, again, even though right. I've thought about it and done the work and kind of transcended it, my life is where it is. So I, I attributed it to that. And also that it's a weird setting. You know, I think when you're, when you're, I find all of this is kind of weird because I think whenever you're talking on any kind of a forum, like you, you know, this, you're talking about your life, your experience, your perspective. And I don't know about you, but I'm always like, I just did Lex Friedman's uh, show a couple of, couple months ago and we talked for five and a half hours and he edited it down like almost four. Right. It's and like it's three kind of, hours and 40, 45 minutes. I just yeah, saw it. Yeah. And it, that, that was edited. We talked for five and a half hours and we took two bathroom breaks of about 10 minutes. And I remember I enjoyed it tremendously because I'm again, big fan of Lex's work. But I remember finishing it and going, yeah, there's nothing here. Like there's nothing that interesting. You, you don't and me, well, millions that. of people have enjoyed that thing. So, got nothing positive. So I have no, I think sometimes we don't know because we're in it. All you do is you watch that software underbelly and you think, oh, I was so annoyed. And that's like me being so intense and feeling full on psycho. Right. I, I don't think that that's how it was perceived. Like I watched it and felt very like, oh, this is such a like hyper intelligent guy who's really intuitive and really empathetic. And this is what happens when you weaponize that. Like he weaponized it effectively. But that then the, the coda to it was you still have all of that talent and now you've just applied it to a different set of tools. And so... I love that because unlike the like junkie missing an eye story that there's no redemption arc and you're like, okay, in three months, this person's going to be dead, yeah, right. you know, and then victimize two or three more people before that happens to them. Like there's a feeling of, of like hope of like, okay, maybe you can just set your shit on fire and rise from the ashes of it. And I, I love those stories. Like that's why I went into divorce law because it, that's what inspired me was the feeling that like nobody meant to get divorced just like nobody meant to go to jail like right. no one meant to, it's like you know but but it's like the old you know the barn burned down and now i can see the moon you know like there's 
there's so much opportunity in the ruin. So listen, two two things. One, I, I am just narcissistic enough to allow you to go on and on and on and, and mm. tell me how great I am. I, I can do that. Honestly, I do that for myself. Every, yeah. uh, my wife can do that. She'll tell you, you love me. But um, so the the second thing is it. you mentioned something about, and I don't know why I immediately think, I always say this. I'm like, you know, a fit, like, a fish, do, and I heard you say something similar. Like, yeah, where yeah, where does water wasn't a fish, yeah. right? Well, yeah, but I, I I always say like a fish doesn't know he's in water. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like you're surrounded by it, just like you're saying. I don't think there's a story here. Well, that's because you're surrounded by it. So it's like sure. these guys I would meet in prison, and I would write their stories, and they would tell me their story, and I'd be like, sometimes I would just go, "This is, this is insane," and they go, "Do you think there's something here?" I'm like, "You robbed thirty banks." Like yeah. we spent three hours telling one funny story after another, like, but they just don't know. And it's the same thing. Like when you explain a trial that you're currently, yeah. you know, it, it's the stuff of law and order. It's the stuff mm-hmm. of, you know, and what's even more unique about it is that is that it is unique. Like, it's not like you're a cop. Oh, I showed up somebody. Yeah. You know, two people got into a two neighbors got into a fight. They shot each other. Yours is unique because it's a, kind of an offset of that, and that kind of like my stuff. It's not really prison stories. There's tons of prison channels. I try and do something where it's like, was the guy smart about it? I don't always get right. Lucky. You know, was it what was unique about his story? Right. Uh, that's or that's kind of what like I try and do. Yeah, and and the human element to it, I think, is interesting. That that is the part. The commonality is what interests me. Is is like, what are the underlying, because I guess I do this professionally. It's like a guy comes in and he says, I want 50-50 custody. And I, I think to myself, no, he doesn't. Like, no one looks at their children that way. Like, no one's ever in the history of children or parenting ever been like, well, I've only had 48% of the time with the children this week. I need another 2%. Like, no one's ever done that. What he's saying is, I don't want to feel like a second-class parent. I don't want to be just a fun parent. I want to be involved in the heavy lifting parenting so that I can understand, you know, and it's the same kind of thing. Like when you, you know, when you hear the stories, like your story or some of the stories you've documented, they're really stories about incredible tools that people have and gifts that people have that they just applied to. And I'm not even going to say the wrong thing because, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, being someone who works in the law, uh, I'm not really someone who's like a choir boy about it. I, I think that, that, you know, people, people transcend the law all the time. And the question is like, are you aware of the consequences? You know? And I, I always liked that. Was it from breaking bad or better call Saul? One of the two where, where the Mike character says to, to the one guy, like, no, you're a criminal, like just acknowledge that you're a criminal. And then you can have a list of the things you'll do and you won't do. But don't lie to yourself and say you're not a criminal. You're a criminal, you know, like, and I think everyone's got criminal in, you know, and it's just a question oh, yeah. of how far, how far over the line are we willing to go? You know? Yeah. I was just going to say everybody's bar is just, you know, mine's just lower than yours. You well, like and, and what you see in divorce is a similar thing, which is if you judge any of us as a parent or as a spouse by our best moment, then we're phenomenal spouses or phenomenal parents. If you judge us by our worst, weakest moment, we're terrible spouses and terrible parents. The truth is we're kind of the average of all of it, right? Like, well, that's kind of what you have to look at it like. And 
And so I, we have a tendency either to view ourselves if we're very narcissistic by only our best moments, or if we're very self-effacing and you know the world's had its way with us, we'll look at ourselves by our worst moment and compare ourselves to someone else's best moment. You know, usually the performative one they posted on social media. But I think at the end of the day, like we're really just all those things. We're all just sort of flawed heroes. All right. Well, thank hey, you. Hey, man, what a pleasure. Great spending some time with you. And if you ever find yourself in New York City, please uh, please make a point of getting in touch so we can get together. Hey, if you like the video, do me a favor. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the, uh, hit the bell so you get notified of videos like this. Also, uh, check the description box. I'm going to leave a link uh, to, uh, to the book. Also, uh, please consider joining my Patreon. Thank you guys very much. Appreciate it. See you.